does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. Jimmy, as you know, we have, at this point, we and I'm trying to think, so we've been doing this now for how long? A month? Died. Six weeks? Eight weeks? Probably close to two months, maybe maybe a little more. And all, you start to kind of get in, when you do a new show, it, it takes a while. You know, it's like the first day of school, like you're kind of figuring out who's in your classroom and you're, you're learning your schedule and your locker combination and all that. And you, you, you say to yourself, I just want to get to the point where I forget what day of the week it is, where you're just kind of in rhythm, right? And, and likewise, you have when you do a show, and I've you know done a couple of them, you get certain guests that you then... I'm not going to say it's like getting your favorite substitute teacher, but there are certain guests where very early on you say to yourself, like, that person is a guest on the show that is just a fun rhythm in it. Like, I'd like to think as if this were Seinfeld, they're like Bob Sacramento. They're like a recurring character on the show that people enjoy. And I think that certainly applies to our next guest. Indeed, it does. Joining us once again, Eric Edholm of NFL.com as well as the Eric at Home NFL Power Rankings. Eric, how are you? I'm doing well. I, with an intro like that, man, you guys can trash me for the next 12 minutes. That was, that's that's going to carry me well, over. Well, that's what we planned on doing, actually. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's fair game. Um, you know, this is, this is fascinating because here's the question, Eric, that always fascinates me. And I was asking these guys this earlier this week, and you'd be a good person to ask. So so I'll start with this one. Give me the team right now that is the poster child of, you know, we're right at that point in the season where we're kind of starting to get into, to use college football terms, separation Saturday, of finding out the pretenders from the contenders. Like now is when you kind of can start to figure that out. Give me the team that's still most befuddles you where you're like I they look like they might be good and I didn't think they were going to be and I'm still trying to figure it out that would be who yeah well Buffalo would be one of them right I mean I I think think Buffalo would be the other way around right like you thought like so in other words a team that you didn't I guess I should have rephrased that a team that you thought going into it was not going to be very good and they've gotten off Uh to a good start and you're like I guess I'm supposed to be sold but I'm not yet Pittsburgh. There you go. Yeah, I, I misunderstood the question for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think the Steelers, I mean, like at the rate we're going, you know, even with a couple of blowout losses on there, I mean, that, that obviously tells a little story about who they are, right? They got thrashed at home uh, uh, in week one by San Francisco, uh, beat thoroughly by the Texans, a team that, you know, I think people are starting to warm up to, but not exactly established yet or anything. Um, A couple of, (laughs) I don't want to say fluky losses, but, you know, they've they've certainly taken their time uh, making their move, right? It's like the patient chess player who waits till the, the 58th move to actually attack or something like that. They're, they've gotten away with it. They're four and two. Uh, they've been outscored on the season. I think we went through this sort of with the Vikings last year. Everybody's saying, "Hey, they're thirteen and four with a negative point differential." What do we make of this team? Uh, we're not quite there yet. Obviously, smaller sample size, and you know, maybe there's there's some potential for this offense to keep growing. But you know, they can't keep waiting to the fourth quarter to to win games. As as good a coach as Mike Tomlin is, and you know, maybe this gets some coach of the year, but. 
Like, I just, I don't know how they're going to keep sustaining this this pattern in games uh, and keep winning. Okay, so then aside from Buffalo, because that's you know clearly one of the obvious ones, but somebody that for certain, like you almost had just like automatically locked in. You thought, you know what? I'm just this. They're never going to fall out of the top five. I'll just put them there, and and you are now thinking to yourself, okay, what's going on here? Buffalo would be an obvious one. Give me another. Yeah, I mean, I had pretty high hopes for Dallas coming into the season. I mean, I just, I you know, obviously things have, have changed a little bit with a couple injuries and everything, but I, I really felt like that defense was going to be the best unit in the league or, 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 you know, right there with San Francisco. This is my preseason thoughts. Um, and I thought all they really need out of Dak and CD and Tony Pollard and, and a really good offensive line is – above average play, just solid play. Don't turn the ball over and, you know, don't bog down and don't become a field goal offense. I mean, I guess at that point with a, with a great defense, it almost doesn't matter. But, you know, they've, they've been undressed a couple times defensively, Arizona, uh, San Fran. Um, you know, this is a big test from this week. They're coming off the, the big game against the Chargers two weeks ago, rested. I mean, you know, there's, there's still a lot of potential for this team, but I, I – I don't trust them. I, I really don't feel like whether it's Mike McCarthy's play calling, whether it's Dak Prescott's execution, whether it's feeling in the back of my mind like this defense is good but not elite. Uh, there's just there's just too many unknowns with them to really feel comfortable. And I think I have them at number eight. But had the Lions not gotten you know their their clock clean last week, I would have probably had Detroit ahead of them. Eric Edholm, NFL.com, is our guest. You walked into my next question, which is, we have one of these every week. Who did we yeah. learn more about, the Ravens or the Lions in Baltimore's dismantling of Detroit? I'll, 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 be, I'll be a little cutesy with my answer and say I think we're going to learn more about Detroit and how they respond from this game. But I think, for me, the takeaway was, I mean, the, the Baltimore came in and just sort of toyed with them offensively, and the Lions defense had no answers. And you know, I mean, they've they've lost a few guys to injury. They don't have the running back to kind of you know take time of possession away. They lost Jerry J- uh, Jacobs right before the game, so you know maybe something like that was was due to happen anyway. But man, all that was missing from this Bucks, I mean Bucks team, um, Ravens team, excuse me, was seeing this Todd Munkin offense and this Lamar Jackson offense, you know, kind of come together culminate into this this product we saw Sunday. I mean, everybody was waiting for it. There were flashes. There were little hints, signs that this could happen at some point. But to do it against a, a really good opponent, I think Detroit is really good in a year where there really aren't, you know, that many teams that I think you can go great. I'd still put them among them. And they, and they took it to them early. And, and Lamar was as good as he's been since at least the first few games of last year, if not, you know, prior to that. So, I don't know. We'll see. I mean, can they back it up? But I, I think it maybe said more about the, the Ravens at this point. Eric Edholm is our guest from NFL.com. His power rankings each week. By the way, the top five teams that he has right now, San Francisco, Kansas City, Philadelphia, Miami, Baltimore. It is not in that order. If you want to know the order of his top five, you're going to have to go to NFL.com to look at his power rankings. Um, Eric when you talk about the Dallas Cowboys and the enigma that is the Dallas Cowboys that you illustrated there, the bigger roller coaster or more enigmatic feature, A, the Dallas Cowboys season, or B, which kind of quarterback you're getting week to week in Gardner Minshew? Oh, man, yeah. I mean, Gardner's 
he's an interesting guy. I'm sure you guys are, are, are realizing that, and everybody in Philly did last year, and you know Jacksonville when he was sort of pressed into starting duty there. I mean, you get some 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 energy, you get some high moments for sure. The turnovers are a big deal. I mean. That's a tough question. Obviously, pegged to be the backup, thrust into a starting role. You know, that's that's a situation that, you know, you don't necessarily foresee. Although, with a rookie quarterback, you never know where they're going to be at. I mean, the Colts, you know, they, they start out the season so nicely. And you felt like, wow, you know, Shane's making a difference right away. They're weathering the Jonathan Taylor storm prior to his return. You know, the defense has really stepped up in key moments. Zach Moss has been great. So many so many things developed in a way that I think was really nice that it's such a disappointment the way this has turned out. Nothing against, you know, Gardner. I think he's, you know, obviously what he did in Baltimore and other points along the way has been pretty impressive. And I've always had a thing for him. I always liked the guy. But playing fast and loose and, and you know, turning the ball over, even on a high-powered Eagles team last year when he had to step in for Jalen for two games, you know, the, the turnovers were an issue as, as good as the, the TD drives were. So that's just that's just part of his game, unfortunately, and you kind of have to live with a little bit of it. Is there a team, Eric, that you look at, and, you know, like Cincinnati, for example, you kind of get the feeling Cincinnati's now finding, you know, they've, they've kind of got their footing now, right? And you feel like they're going to kind of slowly tick up from one week to the next. But yeah. is, there, is there a team you look at that – is having to modify itself before our very eyes, either stylistically or roster-wise, because a key part of it is not up to par, and they're going to have to make adjustments if they want to sustain the start they've gotten off to? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, the Bills, well, both both Thursday teams, I mean, the Bills and Bucks are, are playing in Buffalo, and, you know, both teams are kind of in, entering interesting flashpoints. I mean, the, the Bills had these slow starts offensively, you know, falling behind 11 nothing to the Jaguars and, you know, falling behind 6 nothing should have been a lot more, didn't score until the fourth quarter against the Giants, fell behind against New England 13-3. You know, I think there was this mentality of, well, we can do that because we've got a defense behind us that can kind of save our bacon, and we'll get it in the flow eventually. Everybody knows we will. We'll get Stefan going. We'll, we'll hit a few shots to Gabe and all this, and, Josh will use his legs, and, you know, by the end we'll be all right. That doesn't work anymore without Tredavious White. That doesn't work without Matt Milano, you know, Ed Oliver missing a game, Daquan Jones, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, they've been pretty run thin on defense, and we saw what happened at the end of last year. Great defense all season, kept teams out of the end zone, really fell apart when injuries kind of killed that secondary. So, you know, is that happening again? And remember, Sean McDermott is head coach and defensive coordinator. I mean, he let, you know, Leslie Frazier walk in the offseason and said, I'll take play calling duties. I'll be all right with that. You know, they had trouble with Mac Jones in the quick passing game last week. I mean, that's that's a sign of trouble, I think. So how they adjust not only defensively but offensively to take pressure off that D is going to be big. And, you know, Tampa just not having a run game. I mean, that's not exactly an injury but a development where you're like – Look, they started out 3-1, and one, pretty promising. Defense keeps them in games. Baker's kind of hot one week, kind of trashed the next. You know, it's, there has to be some level of consistency there for them to have a chance and, you know, win a very winnable division with the, you know, Falcons and Saints kind of flailing around too. So, I don't know, man. I mean, we could be looking at two playoff teams tomorrow night, but we could be looking at two teams that – 
have deep flaws that, you know, really hurt them in the end. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Eric Edholm of NFL.com joins us. Eric, I have a hard time wrapping my mind around the idea that the AFC is going to have three AFC North teams, but I agree with Jake that I think the Bengals are starting to right the ship. And so if, even if you lose one of the Steelers and Browns, you'd still be in contention to have three with how the Ravens are playing. When you look at five, six, seven Steelers, Browns, and bills, we are near the halfway point. Trade deadline is next week. What are we looking at from the margins in terms of, okay, those last two playoff spots, that's where your win total probably has to be. And who of that group is most likely to get, bounced Steelers Browns or Bills yeah great question I mean I think the two North teams you know obviously the Browns right now have injury questions in the backfield they do not sometimes know entering games what to expect from the quarterback position right I mean that that right there makes them a giant wild card and yet they have this defense that at times can take over games I mean it do they need a little luck winning Sunday sure absolutely you know I mean a couple favorable calls Miles Garrett going you know, into the, the, the zone for, for a few hours. I mean, that's, that's what it took in a kicker making 50-yard field goal. So they're, you know, they got a lot of factors that, that scare me about them. We talked about the Steelers and all their, you know, quirks as well. I mean, those two feel like the obvious answers, but, geez, we, you unpack Buffalo and you say to yourself, you know, for all the reasons we laid out earlier, I mean, I, I, this is not a team that I fully can – feel comfortable about yet so as good as they've been over the course of the season outscoring opponents by 80 points I mean a lot of that feels like a distant memory right now so the question is whether teams like the Bengals and the Colts and the Jets and the Texans I don't really put the Raiders in any kind of contention right now until I've proven otherwise but those are the teams that are kind of lurking and all of them have issues as well but I think all of them are competitive enough to just be kind of hanging out and see what happens. Because one of those three in that five, six, seven spot, whether it's uh, Browns, whether it's Steelers, whether it's the Bills, I, I would be surprised if the seven teams in the playoffs right now remain the seven teams in, after, after week 18. Okay, so let me ask you this, Eric. I'm going to give you three teams I want you to tell me. I want you to rank them one through three just off the top of your head, okay. right? Um, in this category, I'm going to give you three teams, and you tell me which rank them one through three the best rosters to sustain below average or replacement quarterback play: Cleveland, the Jets, and the Colts. Great question. That's a tough one. All three have played really well defensively. I think, you know, if you were to poll people, most people would say the Browns have the best defense. But again, they gave up some yards Sunday. The Jets have had a couple games defensively where they looked a little out of sorts, but they've been lights out other times as well. I mean, I guess you could say the same for the Colts. Man, that's a tough one. I would say the Colts probably have the steadiest situation, right? I mean, Gardner Minshew started a good number of games in his career. This is not new for him. He's been prepping for this. You know, Zach Wilson still, I think, kind of steadier, but not really – you know, explosive to this point. He's avoided mistakes, which is good. We want that. Uh, I mean, the two-headed running back attack, you know, Michael Pittman getting involved every week. 
I, I can make a case for the Colts. I really can, even even with all the, the speed bumps they've had to endure to this point because, you know, I think there is the feeling that even if Rodgers is close, him playing this season is still a pipe dream, I think. I don't realistically think we could expect him back in December or January. Well, playing and playing it at typical Aaron Rodgers level are two different things, right? Right. I mean, even if you get him back, what is he? So, I mean, there's at least a, a, a respectable case for Indianapolis in that situation, sure. Eric, you also do work covering the NFL draft, and I hate having to do this, but since we have you, I want to ask the question. There's the debate of is it better to be a middle-of-the-pack team with like pick 15 versus a, a bad team with a, with a top-five pick. I would like to see the Colts get another playmaker on offense. I can hear an argument for defense, but just for that sake, to give you one focus point, could the Colts get by in still finding a either close to or a player that could be developed into a wide receiver one or a tight end one if they are a middle-of-the-pack draft pick of like a 10 to 15 range? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of, you know, casual fans will know that like, you know, Marvin Harrison Jr. is going to be gone probably by the time the Colts pick, right? And, you know, then the question becomes – Washington receiver Roma Dunze, uh, Keon Coleman from Florida State. You know, there are a few guys who could end up right in that range there. So I don't think the idea of getting, you know, an exciting playmaker in the middle of round one is any, any stretch, right? We've seen Justin Jefferson slip to the 20s. You know, we've had other receivers. Zay Flowers has been a terrific rookie this year, and he was, what, 24th or 5th? I can't remember exactly. So, you know, I mean, I think that range somewhere in between – 10 and 25 I don't know where they're going to finish but I mean you know that that can end up being a pretty fruitful uh area for wide receivers depending on the depth of the class as long as you don't have you know two elite guys and a massive drop off I don't think we have that this year I mean you know a lot of ground to, to cover before we know who's declaring and all that but those two guys Malik Neighbors from LSU too I mean he's really good so I think those three guys are probably the most likely candidates off the top of my head who would kind of factor into that 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 mid first round, if you will. And I endorse all three because they can separate, and I think that's really what the Colts need is a separator at wide receiver. Eric, if you had to do next week's rankings specifically, entirely, and exclusively based on uniforms, uh, who who is most helped and who is most hurt by that? But what you mean by their weekly uniform choices, like what they're going to wear? Their primary. Their, let's say their primary. I'm not talking about the like color rush crap and all that. Just like their primary <laughs> ones. Like like who all of a sudden is like, hell yeah, we just skyrocketed from last week to this week. Yeah, good question. I mean, I'm not a huge uniform guy. Like I like like the classic Detroit Lions uniform. Always good. Like the Colts helmets. You know, I mean, I don't hate the Chargers. I guess I love blue. I just realized that in saying that. But, yeah, I don't I, hey, know if there's one. The, the Raiders would be helped out, right? Because they, they, they would skyrocket up from 24th, which, which is where you have them. Their uniforms are pretty sweet. Classic, man. I love the white. I know people like the black, but the white, for some reason, really kind of pops for I me. Agree. I agree. I agree. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and, they would have to be the biggest gainers, I would say. Or Chicago Bears, like, you know, classic uniform. I think they would they would certainly bounce up a few spots. Green Bay, you know. Yeah, Carolina sucks either way, right? I mean, Carolina, you only have to move anything. Just keep them right there, right? I, I like it. Teal deserves to be 32nd in my mind. Yeah. <laughs> 
Totally agree. I, listen, uh, we should make T-shirts that say, I survived the teal rush of the NBA in the mid-90s. Like, I don't know what was going on there, but it was awful. Just awful. I wish those Charlotte Hornets teams had a different color because they were cool, man. LJ I mean, and, and Muggsy. And how, about when the, how about when the Pistons decided to go with, like, teal and red? And I mean, what are they doing, right? It was awful. Poor Grant Hill. Poor, you know, like, that's just No, no doubt. Now we know why he was hurt all the time. Yeah, I'm not putting that on. I didn't want to wear the uniform, right? (laughs) That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Eric, last thing on my end, and I want to have this conversation with you as we continue to have you on reoccurringly throughout the season. Look, I, I stand where I stand with the Colts. I feel like they could maybe fall backwards into a playoff spot because where their schedule is, but I've maintained the Jags are the top of the division. As you've seen them so far at five and two, they appear to be in the driver's seat. I know Houston's back by a game, but do you see them being threatened for the South? It's well, you know they they've got what Carolina coming out of the bye. Um, you know, I think they still have a game left against Arizona, so their schedule doesn't seem really daunting. I mean, if I recall, they had one of the the, the preseason. You know, based on win totals, one of the easier schedules. Colts did too, but um, I guess you'd say all the AFC South teams probably were benefited a little bit. But, yeah, I mean, I think Houston, I don't expect them to make the playoffs. I think they'll remain competitive. I mean, everything we've seen since week two has been pretty darn good. I mean, they've, 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 you know, CJ Stroud, the defense, you know, they're starting to figure out ways to run the football a little bit, but. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely not backing down on Indianapolis. I, I definitely underestimated them, I think, early in the season and felt like maybe they were still a little bit farther away than they are. So, you know, maybe this division ends up being a little more interesting. I wouldn't be shocked, you know, if, if a South team gets the sixth or seventh playoff spot. It wouldn't stun me at all. I mean, it's, you know, we, we kind of dumped on this division at the beginning of the year. But, you know, it's, it's proving to be uh, a little more – more durable than I thought it might be. NFL.com is the website. You click on news and then power rankings. That's where you can read Eric's work each and every week. And again, find out who he has in that top five who he considers to be the best team right now in the league. Eric, appreciate it. As always, look forward to talking to you again. All right, fellas. Talk to you soon, man. Again, Eric Edholm of NFL.com. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The countdown continues to NBA Pacers opening night. It's the real opening night, let's be honest. Sure, the Nuggets had their ring ceremony. It's a new era of Pacers basketball getting started tonight. You can hear it right here on 93.5 and 107.5. The fan, Eddie, am I correct in that coverage starts at 6.30? Yes, sir. Coverage starts at 6.30. Tip you, off you take just the rest. after 7 o'clock. There you go. Eddie Garrison will be behind the board. Mark Boyle, Pat Boylan, Eddie Gill, world's greatest post-game show with Eddie White. It's a whole party. And on the Pacers beat, if you're not following him already, you should. Dustin Dupirak, nice enough to take some time with us. Dustin, does, does it feel that way to you on the beat that the rebuild is behind fan and franchise mentality and this is the start of what many hope is a leap forward year? 
Yeah, sort of. I mean, it, you're you're always rebuilding to get till you get back to the point that you actually want to be at, and they're not there sure. yet. But I do think this is a potentially playoff team. Like this is this is a season that you should you know go to games presuming that they're going to have a chance to win every night, and they're going to win about as much as they lose, and that that gets you in the playoffs. I think um, is that I think this you know they are not afraid about talking about the idea of being a playoff team, and I think that's totally reasonable uh, given where they stand. I think they got two you know a couple of really important pieces. Obviously, you know picked up Bruce Brown. Over top and uh you know obviously got jarris walker in the draft it seems like it might be a little bit before you start seeing uh, a lot of walker i don't know if he's gonna be, be in the rotation on opening night um but all the same they, they addressed some of their issues uh certainly needed a power forward desperately got one that could really run um and play the style of up, the up-tempo offense they want to play you know i think defense is still going to be an issue um because i don't know that they, they they did address that certainly brown helps um but you know there's still i think some shortcomings on that end but they should be better and i think they were there was a chance, I think, if, if they go, uh, they didn't lose Halliburton when they lost him for ten games. Uh, there's a chance they'd be in a much better position and might not have, you know, shut him down toward the end of the year. Uh, and maybe they were, they would have been closer to forty or so uh, wins as opposed to thirty-five and being out of the playoffs. So uh, they, they weren't that far away last year, and I think they're close enough to have taken a leap. Now I don't know that you, you, you would say, okay, you put them in anywhere near in the top of the East, especially given what Boston and Milwaukee did to help themselves. They just seem to be at, a, at an entirely different tier. Um, but I think they'll be competitive with the next tier, which I would say would include, you know, Philadelphia. Miami, Cleveland, New York, and I think they're certainly, uh, you know, belong with teams like Atlanta, you know, or Chicago or, or things like that that were they were playing squads last year, and then imagine Brooklyn's going to tumble a little bit, obviously, you know, last year they got a bunch of wins with Durant and Kyrie before they blew that up, um, so there's an opportunity for them to move up, um, and I think, you know, I, expecting this team to finish eighth in the East, I don't think is crazy at all. Dustin, when you look at this roster, Obviously, we know it's Tyrese Halliburton's team. Obviously, we know that, you know, Benedict Matherin's going to have an increased role. We know, you know, Buddy Heald, et cetera. But give me the five players, not that are your starting five, not that are your five best players, but the five most intriguing storylines in the opinion of Dustin Dopierak heading into this season. Those five guys are who? I mean, I still think Matherin's one of them, um, given the greater role, because he's the biggest question in terms of like if if he becomes the second All Star caliber player, you know, then the entire rebuild process accelerates. Um, but you know, if he doesn't, if he sort of stays where he was a year ago, you know, that slows down. And I think you, you got to look at it as this this increased role does mean it means increased responsibility. It means playing against different uh, better players and that's a really key piece you know he's going to be one of several guys you know just in that starting lineup um you know it's the focus isn't going to be on him whereas in the second unit last year it was like okay Matherin's the guy get him the ball um he's going to have to figure out how he uh, operates next to Tyrus Reese Halliburton all the time certainly got minutes with him last year but has to get a sense I think of what he's going to be uh in a lineup full of scores as opposed to being the guy the perimeter guy that everybody's trying to get the ball to uh, on the second unit he's got defend. I mean, that's really the biggest thing is, in a sense, they're really putting a lot on him because, I mean, last year you had two guys that they really trusted to guard uh, top perimeter scores, and that was Nemhart and Neesmith, and it appears that both of those guys are going to be on the second unit. Bruce Brown, you know, you bring in and, and he's going to get those top assignments, but somebody else has to guard the number two guy, and every great team in the league has a number two guy who's really good, who's generally all-star quality. I mean, like, you know, you got to figure out how you're defending Lillard and Giannis. you got to figure out how you're defending Holiday, Tatum, and Brown. Uh, 
Um, and so, you know, that's not easy. So you need a lot of guys who can be able to defend. And you, so you really need a secondary, really good perimeter defender. And the question is, is Matherin that guy? So he's still number one for me. I know you, you said not starters, but like just because of how much bigger his role has to be, how much he has to change, uh, he's still the most intriguing guy for me. I, I you know, I, obviously Brown and Toppin are really interesting. Um, you know, second unit guys, I mean, I'm very interested to see what, what they're going to do uh, at point guard with McConnell and Nemhart if they're going to play both of those guys as they did uh, together in the last game of the preseason, if that's how it's going to be, is playing both of those guys. Are you keeping Nemhart uh, coming off the ball, and are you doing that in the second unit? What's his role look like? Um, because, again, it doesn't seem like he's going to start, but what, what do you do with him? Because he definitely seems like a guy they see uh, a big future for. How do they push him towards his future? I think Aaron Neesmith's an interesting character as well. Obviously, you know he just got his extension. Um, you know, it seemed like he was. They were going to push him more towards the three. Seems like they're maybe going to play a little bit smaller. Maybe put him back at the four. How does he do with that? Um, you know, I, I thought I saw some real improvements in his game on offense. Uh, you know, in the preseason, it seems like he's just better, slicker at attacking, really from above the break. Uh, what's that look like? How is that going to be incorporated in? Especially if he is playing the four. Um, you know, he's an interesting guy. Buddy off the bench is an interesting uh, player. I think even whatever they do at center is going to be interesting. Whether it's Jalen Smith, whether it's Isaiah Jackson, I presume it's not going to be Daniel Tice at this point. But it's also interesting what do they do with Daniel Tyson long term? That's intriguing. Walker and Shepard, what, if any, minutes did they get? Uh, Jordan Norris sounds like he's going to be toward the end of the bench, but he's a talented player. What do you do with him? Uh, there's not a guy on the roster I'm not interested in on some level. Um, so I know it probably went way past five there, but every I think basically everybody's got an intriguing story on this roster, and especially some of the guys that you don't know how much longer they're going to be around because they're going to have a hard time breaking in. Do we know for certain that Buddy Heald is cool with being a bench guy, or is that to be determined as to how he handles it? Right now, if you ask him, he'll tell him he'll tell you he's cool with it. Um, you know, I think it's. I, I would say this. I mean, like obviously, you start playing games and it changes. You know, when guys actually get to feel what that's really like, uh, when they see their minutes get cut, when they see, you know, when, when he gets a sense of just how many minutes he's going to play with Tyrese Halliburton, if that's going to, you know, cut into his numbers. I mean, I'm sure once he starts to see the effect, he might end up being less cool with it. Um, or maybe he'll end up being more cool with it. It all kind of depends on how they handle it. Um, you know, it's I, I would just consider it a variable, basically. But at this point, you know, we asked him about it um, on uh, just after the preseason, the last preseason game. He had six of eight threes in that game. It was like basically, how are you doing with this? He's like, you know, you just got to be a professional uh, about it. And I think he's got motivation, you know, more motivation than he had in Sacramento when things went downhill. Um, certainly, uh, he doesn't want to mess up Tyrese Halliburton's team. You know, those two are really, really close, and he's not trying to go in there and and blow that up uh, for him because it's, you know, going forward, you know, it's his, you know, like Tyrese's success is really important. Basically that's going to be what the franchise is going to be around. I don't think Buddy wants to leave him with a miserable situation and hold back uh, the rebuild for one thing. I think uh, he and Rick Carlisle, I think, get along really well. They spent a lot of time together in Dallas in the offseason where they, you know, they both live there. Um, so I think a lot is being done to make sure Buddy is as okay with it as he's going to be. And it seems like that's worked out well so far. I mean, I'm sure he's you know, in the back of his mind annoyed that he's gonna be not going to be starting. I'm sure he's in the back of his mind annoyed that you know, he doesn't have uh, an extension at this point, and there's a reasonable chance that he's going to be either allowed to walk or traded at the deadline. I'm sure he's not happy and thrilled about those things. But by all, you know, 
all signs so far he's been being a good soldier about it. Will that continue once game starts, once this hits the air, um, and you see what happens to his numbers, what happens to his minutes, um, you know, how he works in with the second unit, uh, you know, that could obviously change things. But at the moment, I think he's being about as cool about it as you can imagine. Dustin DePirek, Pacers beat writer for the Indy Star, is our guest. Dustin, I am bullish on Obi Toppin because if he's able to recapture what he was drafted as in New York, I feel like it could be something that that pushes and accelerates what the Pacers can do this season. From your vantage point, not the draft capital that was given up, because I know there are picks that are four or five years from now, but from what's at stake this season, what are the pros and cons or the ceiling and floor of it works out or it doesn't, and he is the player that he is for Obi Toppin as a Pacers in this kind of one-year tryout with a restricted free agency on him next year? I mean, I think the big thing is it's it's low risk, you know. So basically, I mean, I think if you get, I think what you can sort of guarantee at this point is he's going to work really well in the transition offense, and he's going to be able to get going and get a bunch of fast break dunks, you know. And if you just get that and you get some size at power forward, uh, it's paid off. So it's like basically like everything beyond that is gravy. Um, you know, he's going to be able to shoot the ball from outside. Uh, you know, he's going to, you know, be, you know, he's going to make sure the fans have a good time because, you know, he's throwing down between the legs dunks on the break. Uh, you know, they're, they got to keep him from leaking out too much uh, and, you know, skipping, getting the dirty work done on the rebounds. But, you know, when, when he has an opportunity to run, he will, and he'll do a spe- spectacular, spectacular job of that. I think he's going to be a really good pick and roll partner uh, with Tyrese Halliburton. And then you're going to be able to use both uh, Halliburton and Turner as role guys and the other guy can space. And I think you already saw that um, a couple games ago. They, they, he, uh, Halliburton and Toppin had a roll together, and basically uh, Turner's man tagged off, you know, down uh, down into the paint, and Turner was wide open in the corner for a three. So I think that um, that dynamic is all going to be there, and so he's going to get more production than he's ever had in his career, and it's not going to be close. Uh, you know, obviously the question is, you know, can he defend? Um, and he's never not been a traditionally good defender. You just need him to be adequate. I mean, you're not, he's not going to be a great defender. He's not going to be one of the top two guys. He's just got to be able to guard the position reasonably well and not get cooked on uh, on switches when he's got to deal with you know with, with smaller guards. It's just he's got to be something there. And Rick Carlisle believes he could be a better rebounder. And I think that's that's a little bit of the trade off of you know as fast as you are, as good as you are on the break. Don't you know break before you try to rebound, uh, basically, or trust that you can beat people uh, getting down the floor, even if you rebound first. Um, but so I think they, you know, he's at like 7.2 rebounds per 36 minutes for his career. They believe he can go way up on that, considering the body, the leaping ability, uh, the the length, all that kind of stuff. Uh, they think he should be way better than that as far as defensive rebounding is concerned, as far as, as far as rebounding on both ends is concerned. So if you get that adequate defense and the shooting and the uh, you know ability to finish in both the pick and roll game and the transition game uh, it's more than paid off and so then obviously got to determine what you want to pay him if you want to give him an extension I think there's it's, it's the obvious reasons why he didn't get one before the season they haven't seen him play yet Obi hasn't played for them yet so we don't even know what to ask for um, so you know like it, one way or another for one year giving up two picks uh, I, I think just he, he's definitely going to pay that off and anything you got on top of that that is grave and you make a decision after that as to whether he's somebody who fits for your long-term plan. Dustin Dopirak is our guest from the Indianapolis Star. He is covering the Indiana Pacers. Dustin, uh, Ben Shepard, minutes going to be more than we initially thought at the beginning of the year, or are they still going to kind of ease in slowly? Uh, I mean, I think they'll be more than you. They'll be more than I thought at the beginning of the year because I thought he might get buried. 
um, to be honest. And he, I thought, had a really, really good preseason and has put himself in the position where, you know, if the rotation isn't just a set second unit, then he's got an opportunity to play into that, I think. Or at least have some opportunities if they want to go bigger, if they want to have a little more sort of wing-oriented situation. If some nights they don't want to play Nemharden and McConnell together, you know, they, they want another wing out there, I think he might get some minutes because uh, I think they really like how he shoots the ball. They really like his hustle. They, they like his defense. Uh, they've been really thrilled you know, with what he's done at the preseason. He's really impressing people. And now, so what's that turn out to you know, mathematically? I mean, I don't think it's going to be you know, 18, 20 minutes a game. There's definitely going to be – a substantial amount of games he does not play in at all. Um, but I think he'll have opportunities. I mean, I think, you know, right now he might be, you know, number 11. If if the if the second unit is, you know, McConnell, Nemhard, Heald, Neesmith, and Jalen Smith or, or, you know, or another center, I think it's Jalen at this point. If those are your next five, Shepard might be guy number 11. You know, I mean, he might be he might be the, the first sort of option past that uh, at the wing guard positions uh, to come in beyond that. So, I mean, obviously, again, you don't know what that translates into, but over the course of 82, you know, guys get bumped up, guys miss a couple games with, you know, this bruise, this sprain, you know, uh, this strain of some kind. There's going to be opportunities for him to get on the floor, and I think if he can make some shots, uh, you know, he might be able to stick in there. So, I mean, I think he'll have a bigger role than I would have expected. I mean, like right now, he's, you know, closer to playing time than Jarris Walker is. And that's a guy they invested a lottery pick in. Um, so that really just tells you how good of a, of a preseason Shepard had. By the way, speaking of the Jarris Walker thing, which is interesting because it is, Dustin, it would appear, flip-flop from what we would have anticipated coming out of the draft, which would be that Walker was going to be a ready-to-go guy and that Shepard was, was more a, a wait-to-see guy or a let-develop guy. Obviously, Walker's the younger of the two. But hmm. do you think Walker is behind where they thought he was going to be? Hard to say. Um, I mean, I think they're they're just getting a better sense of okay. I mean, he he really is young, and the sort of game that they want him to play is complex. Uh, you know, because you're looking at him I and he's drafted on the basis of he's going to be a really good defender, he's going to be a really good creator, he's going to be able to shoot, um, and so he's able to do this at this lower level. And now he's got to take that up a notch and be able to do it at a higher level. And so, just basically becoming the player requires him to become takes more than say it did for Master. And Master was just like, go, get in, and just drive as hard as you as humanly possible at the basketball and finish through humans. You know, just if if that's all you do this year, that's going to be fine. You know, no big deal. Walker's just a different sort of player. I mean, like Walker's, you know, IQ and intellect is going to be is a big piece part part of his game has been throughout his career, and you know that requires a little more adjustment when you're taking in all that's required to still be that player at the NBA from what you were in college only for a year and what you were in high school. So I, I mean, I, I think they probably think he's maybe a touch behind uh, where they thought he would be, but um, not not far. I don't think they're worried about it. I mean, like, I, I wouldn't go that far. I, I don't think it's – and he's certainly going to, I think, get worked in as the season goes on and they start to see him pick things up and everything like that. You know, I just going to be a better better finisher around the rim, a little bit more consistent shooter. You know, it's not that they don't have anything they like. Um, you know, certainly seen some really good flashes, both from summer league and from preseason, um, you know, just with the athleticism, blocking ability, the ability to defend multiple positions, uh, get out there on the perimeter and guard somebody, be able to handle the ball, pass. I think he's a better passer than a lot of people realize. Or, you know, as I think Indiana knew, but I I don't think everybody realizes just how good he is in the open floor as a passer for a guy that big. Um, but I think they can tell that he's still taking it all in. And, you know, there's some mistakes that have been made that they'd like not to have him on the floor for. But, um, you know, I, he, he's not – I don't think they're going to – you know, I don't think he's going to get buried. I don't think it's something they, they're desperately concerned about. But, you know, I, I, I do think they look and say, well – 
Aaron Neesmith is more ready, and we want to have T.J. McConnell on the floor right now, and those guys are further ahead, and so let's let this develop a little bit slower. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The beat writer with the indie star Dustin DePirac joins us. Dustin, every year whenever there's a championship one you see offseason signings and poaching of teams from said champion and oh we've brought in a championship level of pedigree now and sometimes that gets overstated I don't think it's been overstated but it has been mentioned at times with how aggressive the Pacers were out of the gate to get, get Bruce Brown and it's clear in terms of media availability comments made and practices and whatnot that yeah he's a well-liked guy within that locker room and they're excited to have him a part of the team how long before on the court, how far into this season before the benefits of a guy like Bruce Brown will be felt amongst both the roster and fans? Well, it better be immediate because <laughs> they need somebody to guard somebody. And it's got to be Bruce Brown. Uh, there's not really another option there. Um, you know, basically, again, like moving Nemhard and Nismith to the back, like, you know, they have one guy that they really, really trust to guard people, and, and it's Bruce Brown. And so he's got to take the top assignment every single night. I mean, I don't know how huge the scoring numbers are going to be, but he, like, the defense better show up because after that, I don't know who you trust to guard anybody. Um, and so, and he's, it's also his job to kind of help Benedict Matherin grow up. He said, that's something that he's taken on as he really looks at Mather and sees the body of a guy that can be a great defender, but he's really got to figure it out. I and mean, you saw that, I think, last year. And Matherin says he wants to be one of the best two-way players in the league. Uh, and, you know, just sometimes just gets lost on that end. Uh, and, and, you know, he, he can he can be aggressive, but sometimes he gets out of position, gets lost on screen, stuff like that, maybe doesn't communicate as well. And so Bruce Brown is kind of charged with making him better and, and making it so they can trust him to, to take that second major assignment. But, I mean, Brown's going to come in and be expected to guard the best player right away all the time. Uh, and so he's got to be good at it. You know, I mean, he's got to be at least decent. That doesn't mean he's got to shut everybody down, but he's got to pr- provide some pretty good resistance. And he's got, you know, he's shown that ability. I mean, he had, I think, some really good defensive performances uh, in the champ, you know, just on the on the way to the championship. And they were, you know, he was he was guarding top-level guys. I mean, dealing with the Durant, dealing with LeBron, um, you know, those kind of guys just to get in, uh, you know, to the finals. And so, I mean, I, I can't remember how much he guarded Butler or how much not, but I mean, he had to, he had to take on some important assignments defensively and so he's going to know how to do that but that's it has to show up uh, immediately. As far as the scoring is concerned, I mean, that could go a couple of different ways. I think he's obviously got to figure out how exactly to play off Halliburton and when, where he fits because he, he can sometimes, uh, you know, did play a lot of point guard coming off the bench, uh, you know, for the Nuggets and that those playoffs. So he's obviously going to be always off the ball, um, you know, for the most part, always off the ball and got to figure that part out. But I mean, he, I thought, thought he knocked down some shots when he got Halliburton to clear some space out for him. I think you're going to see some of that. Um, so I don't, know, I don't know how high the point numbers are going to be, but the defense has to show up immediately because he's going to be the guy that's going to be guarding the other team's best offensive player. Dustin, you I know you went to Penn State, right? Mm-hmm. But you grew up yep. where? Dustin Dopirak, Indianapolis star and the Pacers beat writer. Uh, you went to high school where? Uh, Westmoreland County, so like the county east of Pittsburgh. Okay, I'm looking it up right now. Westmoreland County High School. Uh, who is the Norwin most high, famous? Norwin High School. Norwin High School is the school. Wait, what's the but Spell the name of the school. N-O-R-W-I-N. Okay, Norwin High School. Uh, who is, according to Wikipedia, which is all-knowing, uh, in Irwin, Pennsylvania, who is the most famous graduate of your high school? Go. Doug Plank. Doug Maybe. Plank. Played uh, safety for the Bears. Okay, hold on. Uh, 
let's see. You are correct. Class of 71, he is listed. Um, yeah, it dries up pretty quickly after that. No offense, right? Yeah. <laughs> I probably am the most Google boy. You, you've, got a, you've got a first baseman <laughs> for the Astros, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. J.J. Mat- J. Matichevic. Now, how about this? That's right. Uh, did you, mm-hmm. What year did you graduate? 2000. So a little before you, you didn't happen to know Colleen Shogun? No. She's an know. archivist for the United States. I have no that. idea what that means. What does archivist for the United States mean? Like you just I archive everything? Is she a hoarder? They work at the National Archives. I presume they work at the National Archives. Okay. And uh, I presume they have something to do with uh, Trump getting in trouble for classified documents. Okay. Um, Paul so. Doucette from 1990. Do you know him? Oh, Matchbox 20. How about that? What? Did not know. That Drummer, rhythm guitarist, and backup vocalist for Matchbox 20. Get out. I feel more famous already just knowing that we're connected to that guy in some way. Mark Critz. No did you know Mark? Former U.S. representative from Pennsylvania's 12th Congressional District? Totally didn't. What's his last name? Critz. Uh, C-R-I-T-Z. Critz. Nope. And you were the Knights, right? Yes. Blue and gold. You can take some of your old high school gear over to Marion. <laughs> Correct. Exactly. It okay. was perfectly. Fair enough. They have the same signs and everything. Yes. Uh, Dustin, I'll see you down there tonight. I'll be at the game, and we look forward to talking to you again, but appreciate your time and shedding light on the blue and gold, not the, just the Norman <laughs> blue and gold, but the Pacers as well. Appreciate it. There you go. <laughs> Sounds good, fellas. You guys have a good one.